So we're going to continue in our series on Oh, the Places We'll Go. And uh, we're, we're on this adventure talking about what happens when we find ourselves in places that we never thought that we would go, when we find ourselves in situations and circumstances that we never thought we would find ourselves in. But those are the very times that we see Christ the most clearly, or at least we have the opportunity to see Christ uh, the most clearly. And we're going to do that again this morning. Last week, we talked about Gideon from the book of Judges in the Old Testament. This Sunday, we're moving back into the Gospels. And uh, we're going to be looking at a passage out of uh, the Gospel of Matthew. But before we do, I want to give you a little context in this story. Uh, and it, and it's, it's built around this, uh, this story that Jesus, uh, Jesus t- was preaching on a mountainside. And it says, the story says there was a, a a great crowd of people that gathered there to hear him preach. And the disciples came to him and said, you need to let them go because it's getting late and there's no place to get food and they're going to get hungry. And, and Jesus simply said, why don't you have everybody sit down and, and uh, uh, let's see what happens. And so they sat down and, and, the, and the, the story in the New Testament says that there were about 5,000, but we know from, uh, from the culture of that day that they were only counting the men. So if you added the women and children, there could have been uh, you know, 10,000 or more. There are all kinds of estimates about exactly how many people were on the mountainside that day, but we know that there were thousands of people. And then Andrew brings a little boy who had a few loaves of bread and some fish, and Jesus took that and he blessed it and he broke it and it fed everybody um, plus 12 baskets left over, uh, fed everybody in the crowd. Everybody was there. They got as much as they wanted to eat. And Jesus was one of his greatest miracles. Well, what happens at the end of that story is that the people that were there, the crowd, they were so excited, they were so pumped up about what Jesus had just done that they wanted to take him right then and make him the king. In fact, in John, the sixth chapter, verse 14 and 15 says this, when the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, this is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. And and so they, they thought, if he can take a few loaves of bread and, and a few fish and he can feed thousands and thousands of people, then he must be the Messiah. He must be the one that they've talked about. And he could come in and we're going to crown him king and we're going to have his kingdom and we're going to throw out the Romans and we're going to fix all the things that are wrong and we're going to be there. We're going to be God's chosen people. Everything's going to be good. Everything's going to be right. And, uh, and, and so they were ready. And it says that Jesus withdrew from that place. Matthew gives us a little bit more information in Matthew 14, verses 22 to 23, it says this, immediately, referring to Jesus, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. In verse 23, it says, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on a mountain by himself to pray. So here's the scene. They want to make Jesus king. The crowd is just fired up. Uh, They want to take him by force and, and make him a king and get all of this stuff done. And Jesus seeing that, but recognizing that it's not his time, that he hasn't fulfilled what he came to do, he pulls himself away, puts his disciples in a boat, and then he withdraws. Now, what I think is really interesting about this is that Jesus withdraws by himself to a mountain to pray. Now, most of us think about prayer when everything's going bad. We think about prayer when we're in a crisis. 
We think about prayer when we've tried everything else and we don't know what else to do, and man, now it's time to start praying, right? And that's kind of how we think about prayer. But it's interesting that Jesus, at the very peak of his popularity, at the very moment of his, the most power, the most recognition, the most opportunity, that's the moment that Jesus pulls aside to pray. Not when we would normally think about it, but that's how Jesus did it. And here's the reason, because Jesus knew that he had a mission. He knew what he came to do. He says in Luke 19 that he came to seek and to save the lost. He, he says in another part of the Gospels that he came to give his life as a ransom for many. That he knew that he had come for the cross and that he would experience the, the cross and the rejection. And then he would also experience the resurrection. He knew his mission. And so when that mission was threatened, even with good things, even with powerful things, when that mission was threatened, Jesus pulled away because that was the very time that he didn't need to be the most focused on what God had called him to do. And one of the challenges for us is it's not always in crisis that we need to pull away. But it's sometimes when we feel the most invulnerable. It's sometimes when we feel the, the strongest. We feel like that we've got everything going for us, that things are going the best. Those are the times that we need to, to pull away and recognize that it's about Christ. It's about who God is. It's about his strength and, and about his power. And so Jesus pulled away. But remember that little part in, in, in Matthew 14 that he had put the disciples in a boat and he had sent them across the Sea of Galilee. And so we're going to continue with that story. It says, uh, when evening came, he was there alone. Verse 24, but the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for there was a wind against them. So here we have Jesus. He's alone in the mountain to pray. He puts the disciples, now pay close attention, he puts the disciples in the boat and he sends them across the lake and a storm comes up, huge waves. And I love the language here because it says the boat was beaten by the wind. There are other places in the New Testament where that word beaten is translated tortured or tormented. So you have this idea of how strong the wind was. It was torturing the boat. It was tormenting the boat. It was beating the boat. And these are, some of these guys are fishermen. They're used to living on the water, but even the language they're using says this was a dangerous storm. This was a huge storm. Now, I want you to think about the fact that, that Jesus had put them in the boat, that Jesus had done this, that they were obeying him. And so here's one of the other mistakes that we make in life sometimes is that we think if I'm trying really hard to obey Jesus, and if I'm trying really hard to be one of the good guys, and I'm trying to do what's right, I'm trying to be obedient to God, then there should never be a storm in my life. It should, my life should be good. I'm trying to do the right things. I'm trying to obey. Look at the disciples. They did exactly what Jesus told them to do. He put them in a boat. He sent them out. They obeyed his command, and they still found themselves in a storm. And here's the lesson for us, that storms are inevitable. You can't escape them. And storms come when we're being completely obedient to God, and storms come when we're not being obedient to God. But storms come in everybody's life, and the disciples that night, the followers of Jesus, in spite of the fact that they had done exactly what he said, found themselves in a raging storm. Well, 
It says, and in the fourth watch, which was somewhere between 3 and 6 a.m., the Romans at that time, who were the rulers, uh, the Romans had the greatest army in the world, they had divided the night into four three-hour watches. Uh, where they would have their watchmen uh, on the gates. They would have their guards paying attention. And this was the fourth watch, so we know it was somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 p.m. And in the, uh, and 6 a.m., I'm sorry. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, referring to Jesus, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, and they said, it's a ghost, and they cried out in fear. So Jesus, is, so the disciples are in the boat. There's a storm. They're, they're rowing as hard as they can. They're bailing as fast as they can. They're doing everything that they know how to do. Again, they're guys that made their living uh, on, this, uh, on the Sea of Galilee. So they were in their area of expertise. They're focused to, to get out of this situation they're in. And all of a sudden, Jesus comes, and the story says he's walking on water. Now, I love the fact that Matthew doesn't try to explain to us how he was walking on the water. He just was, because he's Jesus, right? I mean, Jesus can walk on water. That's what he does. And, 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 and you know, in the, in the moment that this happened, they were all terrified. But later on, as he's reflecting and writing, well, of course, he's Jesus. He just walks on the water. He can do that. But at this moment, they were scared to death. Their knees were shaking. Uh, they're crying out. They think it's a ghost. They're superstitious anyway. But here's, here's the challenge, is that they were so busy bailing, and they're so busy rowing, and they're so focused on getting out of this mess that they didn't see Jesus when he came. They didn't see Jesus when he showed up. And I think that that's another classic lesson for us is that sometimes we get so focused on our circumstances, we get focused on our life, we get focused on our situation in life, and we're so busy trying to get out of it, and we're so busy trying to fix it, that Jesus is showing up, Jesus has come for us, and we don't see him because we, we, we've got our eyes so focused on what we are trying to do, how we're gonna fix this, how we can control our situation. And the disciples, maybe it was a handicap that there were some fishermen in the boat that night because they thought they knew what to do. And when Jesus showed up, they missed him, <laughs> except that they thought he was a ghost, except they, you know, screamed like little kids. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. The disciples are blown off course by a dangerous wind. The disciples are lost, it's out of control for them, but Jesus shows up, and what does he say to them? This is one of the, I think, one of the most important verses in the scripture, it's in the New Testament. It's one of the great stories in the gospel because here's what Jesus says. The first thing that he says to them is take heart, take courage, and then he says, it is I. Take courage, it's me, you guys. I've shown up, I'm here, but if you take that word, that little phrase, it is I, it's also translated in the New Testament, I am. And Jesus is saying, take heart. Do you know why you can have courage? Do you know why you can take heart? Because I am. In the book of Exodus, uh, God's calling Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And Moses says, well, what am I going to tell him? Who do I tell him that you are? And God said, tell him, I am. I am that I am, that I am the creator of the universe. 
that I am before time and I am after time. That everything that you see, everything that you experience, everything you touch was created by me. That that's who I am. I am the I am. I'm the God of the universe. And in the New Testament, in the, in the Gospel of John, Jesus makes seven statements about himself. He says that I am the bread of life. He said, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the door. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says that I am the great I am. And when the disciples are fearful, when the disciples are crying out a ghost, Jesus says, take courage because I am. I created the wind. I created the waves. That's who I am. All of this belongs to me. All of this is controlled by me, and I'm here with you right now. And then he says, do not be afraid. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. It's a picture of who Jesus is. It's a picture that he wants us to understand about him. And then the story continues. The plot thickens a little bit in verse 28. Peter, God bless Peter, he's always the first one to say something, isn't he? Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Now, I love this because Peter doesn't just jump out of the boat and say, well, if this is the Lord, I'm going, you know. He says, Lord, if this is really you, because I really need to make sure right now that this is really you, command me to come out of the boat. Before I get out of the boat, I really want to make sure that you think this is a good idea, Lord. So you tell me to come out of the boat, and I'm going to get out of the boat. And the Lord said, come. The Lord called Peter to get out of the boat. And the story says that, that Peter got out of the boat. And he got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. Unbelievable. A miracle. Phenomenal. Something Peter could have never done on his own. Something he could have never experienced by himself. But when Jesus called him to get out of the boat, he did something that was impossible. He actually walked on water. And he is coming to Jesus. He is walking to Jesus on the water. And there are 11 other guys going, wow, should I have done that? I wish I'd have said that. Or they're sitting in the boat. Peter's the first disciple to speak. And here he doesn't simply climb out of the boat. This, isn't, this is primarily not a story about risk-taking. It's primarily a story about obedience. You see, this is not risk-taking for the sake of risk-taking. Jesus isn't looking for a bungee-jumping, hang-gliding, tornado-chasing disciple. It's not a story about extreme sports, but it's about extreme discipleship. It's about extreme obedience. Are you willing to get out of the boat in the middle of a storm, get out of the place that you are the most confident, the place that you have the most experience and the most expertise? Are you willing to leave that place to come to me? That's the question. That's what Jesus offered to Peter. That was the adventure. Will you get out of the boat and come to me? And Peter gets out of the boat. And he comes to Jesus. And it says then that Peter gets out of the boat, but when he saw the wind, which is sort of an interesting concept, seeing the wind, 
when he saw the wind, or with a result of what the wind is doing, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So here is Peter. He's walking on the water toward Jesus. Then all of a sudden, he really thinks, what was I thinking? There's waves and there's wind and all of this stuff. And he gets his eyes up Jesus. He starts to look at the waves. He starts to hear the wind. He starts to feel it slashing against his skin. And he suddenly becomes aware that he's out in the middle of the water, that he's out of the boat. And he gets his eyes off Jesus and he starts to sink. And when he starts to sink, all that he can think about is, Jesus, help me, save me. Lord, save me. In verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him saying, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Peter's actually walking on water. And then he sees the wind, and reality sets in. He realizes he's walking on the water in the middle of the storm with no boat underneath him, and he's terrified, but nothing had really changed. Jesus had commanded him to get out of the boat. Jesus had offered him an adventure, an opportunity. Jesus was right there. Nothing had changed except this, that Peter's attention shifted from the Savior to the storm. That's what changed. His attention shifted from the Savior to the storm. When verse 31 says that he began to doubt, and doubt... Um, carries this idea of, about trying to go two places at one time. That he's trying to walk on the water, but he's also figuring out, how did I get out of the boat? Why did I do that? He's trying to serve two masters. It, it literally means to be in two minds. That Peter began to try to do two things at once. How can I fix this? How can I change this? What am I going to do? And, and yet at the same time, how do I get to Jesus? Peter's problem wasn't so much a lack of intellectual conviction, but it was a conflict between the evidence of his senses, what he was feeling, what was going on around him, and the invitation of Jesus. And isn't that the truth that Jesus invites us to get out of the boat? He invites us to come to him. But our circumstances are like these great winds that buffet us, that hit us. Uh, that make us afraid and we have a decision. Do I continue to look at Jesus? Do I continue to come to him? Or do I get distracted and caught up in all the things that are going on around me? Jesus was going to provide the provision for Peter, but Peter needed to follow him. Followers of Jesus, in fact, regularly experience faith and doubt. We regularly find ourselves caught between those two places. Lord, I want you, but Lord, I doubt. And let's be honest, we all doubt sometimes, right? I mean, that's human nature. That happens to us. The question isn't, do we ever doubt? The question is, where do we keep our focus? That in the middle of that doubt, can we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus? Can we keep our eyes and our heart and our mind trained on him? What happens to us when we doubt? What happens to us when we find ourselves in deep water? Can we keep our eyes on Jesus. That's the question for Peter. That's the question for us. Peter was a fisherman. He knew boats. He, he knew that lake like the back of his hand. He had grown up fishing there. Uh, I'm sure he'd been in storms before, and if he had stayed in the boat, he would have been in his element, his area of expertise. He would have known what to do. It was the safest place for him right then was to be in the boat. 
And we all have places like that. We all have our safe places. We all have places where we feel like we're the expert, that we know what to do. And Jesus calls us often out of those places because that's where we learn to trust him. That's where we learn if we really have faith. That's where we learn what it means to follow Jesus. A few years ago, um, author John Ortberg wrote a book, if you wanna get out, uh, if you wanna walk on water, you've gotta get out of the boat. And this is what he says, our boat is whatever represents safety and security to you apart from God. Our boats are whatever we're tempted to put our trust in, especially when life gets a little stormy. Our boat is whatever keeps us comfortable uh, that we don't want to give up, even if it's keeping us from joining Jesus on the waves. So we usually think of discipleship as Bible study or prayer and and serious and, and solemn moments in our lives, but what if discipleship was also a great adventure of following Jesus to places that we never thought we would go, places where we might sink, where we might have to completely trust in Jesus. What if what Jesus is really looking for is, yes, Bible studies and prayer are really important. Uh, Being part of worship is really important. But what I'm calling you to do is to get out of the boat. I'm calling you to take all that you get from those Bible studies and all that you get from prayer and to get out of the boat and follow me to take the adventure, to do something you never dreamed you would do, to go to a place that you never dreamed you would go and that's following Jesus, trusting him, keeping our eyes on him. Fear will always tell us what our boat is. Fear reminds us of this is not the place where I feel most secure and the most comfortable and I want to go back to that place where I feel better, where I feel the safest. But often fear reminds us that our eyes are on Jesus. Our eyes are focused on him. Do we trust him with everything? If you get out of the boat, whatever your boat is, there's a good chance you might sink. But if you never get out of the boat, for sure, you're never going to walk on water. If you never get out of the boat, you're never going to walk on water. Yeah, you might sink but for sure you'll never walk on water. Out of all the disciples, only Peter knew the excitement and the glory of walking on water. And he knew the beauty of being lifted up by Jesus in a moment of crisis. Only Peter ever knew that. The other disciples stayed in the boat. It's not about being wrong or right. It's about being on the adventure. Peter got it. Peter got out of the boat. He walked on water. And for the rest of their lives, all the other guys wondered, what would that have been like? Even just for a few seconds, even for a little while, to be on that adventure, walking on water. So what kind of conclusion should we draw from this story? Peter, uh, did, did Peter do a great act of faith, or, or, or did he ultimately fail? I mean, after all, he did sink eventually, And yet it's hard for me to call it failure because Peter really walked on water. He actually walked 
on water. The fact is that, that he became distracted and, and afraid. It, it seems understandable to me because that's who, how I am. I want to get out of the boat and walk on water. And then all of a sudden, all the circumstances of my life begin to distract me and begin to try to divert my attention away from Christ and onto the circumstances in my life. And, and in, in my distraction, I take my eyes off Jesus and I start to sink. But here's the reality is that if you've gotten out of the boat and you've begun to walk on water and you find yourselves up to your knees in water all of a sudden, Jesus is still there. He hasn't gone anywhere. And we get not only the privilege of walking on water, but the privilege of reaching up and grabbing his hand because he's never left us. He's still there. He's always been there. So I can't really call Peter's experience a failure, but it's an exercise in growing faith. It's an exercise in extreme faith. He was always safe because Jesus was there. At the same time, he was soaking wet and cold, and he would be reminded forever that following Jesus is costly, and it can be frightening and even dangerous, but ultimately, Jesus is there. And here's a deep truth about water walking. The fear will never go away. The fear will never go away. Why? Because each time I want to grow, it's going to involve going into new territory, taking on new challenges, getting out of our comfort zone, my comfort zone, our boat. And there is always fear that goes with that. Anytime we try something new, anytime that we step out of the boat, anytime that we follow Jesus into a place we've never been before, there's always going to be fear because we've never done it before. The question is, do we trust him? Do we believe he's always there? The decision to grow always involves a choice between risk and comfort. And this means that being a follower of Jesus, we must not accept comfort as the ultimate value of our life. I like comfort. I look forward to comfort. But is that the ultimate value of my life to make myself comfortable, to finally get comfortable? Or is the ultimate value in my life to be on the water with Jesus, to be wherever he is, to be risking everything to follow him, to know him, and through that to have the experience of walking on water? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for this challenge to get out of our comfort zones, our comfort areas, our places of safety, and, and Lord, to trust you, to look for you, uh, to see you in unexpected places and then risk for your sake and for your kingdom. Lord, uh, we need your courage. Uh, we need your perspective. Uh, Lord, we need you in the middle of all of our circumstances. We need to keep our eyes on you. So I pray, Lord, that you'd remind us this morning that you are there that you're calling us out of our comfort zone. And Lord, you are reminding us that wherever we go, however we follow you, Lord, that you're there. And Lord, we want to be careful to give you all the praise and the honor and the glory for this in Jesus' name.